I know it took place all over America yesterday, but I couldn't be in all places all over America. I was in Auburn yesterday. As our two state major universities acknowledged America yesterday before the beginning of the football games and then at their half times. My heart was reminded that there's still hope. There is still an element in this nation that still recognizes from whence comes our strength. So blessed to hear the Alabama State marching band yesterday opened their halftime show with America the Beautiful. To have watched the Auburn band begin the beginning of the ball game with God Bless America and, of course, the national anthem. And the gratefully be reminded of the price that so many paid on 9-11-2001. I'm not emotional about ball games. But I know Evan probably felt a little bit of don't embarrass me, Papa, yesterday as I had to stop and dry my eyes on a couple of occasions. These are the words to the song that you know very well, maybe not all of the stanzas, but you know it. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. If that was all that was said, that's enough. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. O oh, beautiful for pilgrim feet whose stern impassioned stress a thoroughfare for freedom beats across the wilderness. America, America, God mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. O oh, beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife, who more than self their country loved, and mercy more than life. America, America, may God thy goal refine till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. Oh, beautiful for patriot dream that sees beyond the years thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. America, America, 
God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Psalm 33, verse 12 and following says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope of safety. Neither shall it deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. I say to you with all of our faults, and we have many, the United States of America is still the greatest nation on the face of the earth, and I believe that. And I'm thankful I didn't choose to be born here. I was blessed to be born here. And I'm thankful that God allowed that and for me to be a part of this nation. I want you to see the greatness of America great in her beauty. The song says, from sea to shining sea. But she's also great for her freedoms. Real trend in America today for anti-Americanism, anti-patriotism. They revise history to, to undermine the character of, and integrity of our founding fathers, saying they weren't who they were. They say they weren't motivated by principle, but by property, motivated by greed and desire for wealth. But can I tell you, that's simply not true. We are not ignorant people. You can't pull the wool over our eyes when we are studied people. We are learned people. We're educated people. We are knowledgeable people people. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than they had to gain. Most were very wealthy already and did not need more wealth. Twenty-four of them were lawyers. Nine were large landowners or huge farmers. Eleven were merchants. The others were physicians Ministers, Lord help them, and several others. They were educated of men, educated men, and of good standing in the communities. They knew security and prosperity, but felt there was something more important 
than security, and that was freedom. They knew that the penalty for treason was death by hanging, yet they signed the Declaration of Independence. John Hancock signed twice as large as anyone else and said, now his majesty can read my name without his spectacles. Stephen Hopkins, old when he signed, and his hand shook as he signed the Declaration of Independence and looked up and said, gentlemen, my hand trembles, but my heart does not. Four delegates from New York were particularly wealthy. British ships were nearing just a few miles off, to, off of the coast when they signed. Most of New York had already been evacuated. They and others were pursued. Some were captured, tortured, and of course, many of them died. Young people, you need to know, when you look at this flag that stands right over here, that they, these and others paid a price for the freedoms that that flag stands for, for this nation. And when the flag is burned in ignorant protest, it's not an exercise of freedom of speech. I think it's high treason. And they don't remember that they're free to burn the flag because of what the flag stands for and what has been done to give them those freedoms. That's the greatness of America. Great because of her freedom. But I want you to notice who the God of America is and on whose truth and whose trust was this nation was founded. Just as the revisionists want to rewrite history in order to undermine the character and the integrity of the founding fathers, they also want to undermine the godly heritage of this nation. They try to tell us that this nation wasn't really founded upon God. Even a South American president years ago said, people came to my continent looking for gold, but those who came to America were looking for God. In 1620, the first pilgrims arrived on this continent. A little band of people crossed the Atlantic in a sailboat 26 by 113 feet. They landed on the Atlantic coast in the bitter cold of winter. As they stepped off the boat, they signed the compact, the Mayflower Compact. The second paragraph of which, which begins, for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. That first winter was tough. Forty-four of them died in the first five months. Only 58 survived. In the fall of 1621, they reaped their first harvest, 21 acres of corn. 
Their immediate response was to thank God. They marched through the cornfields singing, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. On December the 13th, those 58 gathered with 80 friendly Indians and celebrated three days of thanksgiving and preaching and praying and singing and, of course, eating together. Most textbooks today say the pilgrims and Indians met to thank each other. Maybe so, but more importantly, they met to thank a holy God for his blessings. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed National Thanksgiving Day. In his proclamation, he made an important and accurate theological point. This is what he said. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have seen preserved these many years in peace, or we have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten about his gracious hand, which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all those blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity, necessity of his redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us President Abraham Lincoln. The Puritans gave their reasons for coming to America as well. In the opening sequence of the Northeast Confederation, it says, whereas we all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel of peace. Benjamin Franklin once challenged about having a political session open with prayer, said, listen, I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs, governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it prob probable that a, an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings of the Scriptures that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Some Christians have been intimidated, and they've heard the ACLU and others talk so much about the separation of church and state and I've heard it until I'm sick of it. And they actually believe it. In case you don't know, the phrase separation of church and state never appears anywhere in any American document, not in the Declaration 
of independence or in the Constitution of the United States. However, it is found in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. It is coined in the United States by misquoting a letter written by our third president, Thomas Jefferson, the principal framer of the Constitution, in the letter that he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association because they were afraid of being persecuted. And he said to them, assuring that he would keep the government out of the church, not the church out of the government. And he was saying, never again will they be a, there be a government-sponsored church like back in England. And that's where that phrase, separation of church and state, comes from in our country. Check it out for yourself. The First Amendment of the Constitution actually states, Congress shall make no law respect, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting, prohibiting, I can't even say it, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. If there is such a thing as separation of church and state, it is intended as a one-way street that the state cannot interfere with the affairs of the church. 94% of the writings of our founding fathers of the United States contain quotations or quotes from the scriptures themselves. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said, no book in the world deserves to be increasingly studied and so proudly, profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. A couple more quotes. Franklin Roosevelt prayed this prayer on a national radio hookup on D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, as our troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, France. Almighty God, he prayed, with thy blessings we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Harry Truman, our 33rd president, not known to be a committed believer, I may add, understood the spiritual heritage of this nation he said, if men and nations would, put, but would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. Our beloved President Ronald Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be one nation gone under. George W. Bush was asked to name the philosopher 
that had so the greatest influence on his life, this was his answer. Christ, because he changed my heart. The greatest of America is his, or his freedoms. The greatness of America is the God of America and is the one true and only living God, Jehovah, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of all who will believe. That's the greatness of America. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes and get to preaching now on the guilt of America. The guilt of America lies in the indifference and the complacency of the people of God who name the name of Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. God speaks to this. We talked about it a couple of Sundays. I've quoted it several times. I've quoted it on Wednesday night. But God spoke to this in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, when he said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. There are three things I want to share with you every Christian must do for their country in obeying the Word of God. Just three simple things, and I'll be through. First of all, participate in our country. It is the Christian duty for every one of us to be informed and involved. It is our Christian duty to know what is truth and what is error. It is our Christian duty to go before the Lord and ask him to give us discernment as we hear the many things and experience the many things that he would help us to discern between what is truth and what is false. What is truth and what is a lie? What is of God and what is not of God? And asking him to give us that kind of understanding. Shame on the child of God, the Christian, who pledges their allegiance to the flag and yet takes no action in the country in which we call home. We have a responsibility to be involved. We have a responsibility to be involved in our local government and the decisions that are made. We have a responsibility to be involved in our county decisions and government. We have a responsibility to be involved in the state of Alabama and its governing. And we have a responsibility to be involved in the United States of America and her direction and the governing folks that we elect to office 
We need to know who and what we're voting for. We have a responsibility that when we go to the ballot box, that we not vote some party, but we vote someone who stands on the truth and will do the work and the will of God as far as this city, this county, this state, and this nation goes. We have a responsibility to participate into doing what is right. We have no voice to criticize those that are elected if we do not vote in the election. Shame on a child of God who would be critical of the president or of a legislator or of a local mayor or state governor and be critical of those that are leading and making decisions when you did not voice under the power of the Holy Spirit of God what you felt and knew to be the right way and the right person to stand on the right principles and the truth of God's Word. Shame on us to even think we ought to be critical if we've not done what God's called us to do, to be involved in the affairs of our great land, of our government. We must, parade, and celebrate the truth of God's holy word. We need to quit sitting idly by and allowing every lie to prosper. You know, sometimes you just need to get fed up. How many of you ever been fed up? How many of you are pretty fed up right now? Not with my preaching, I hope. <laughs> You know, we can get fed up, but we get over it real quick. And we just shrug our shoulders like there's not anything that we can do about it. Oh, yes. We can parade the truth. We can be a voice of truth. We can be a voice of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, when he sets the captive free, they are free indeed. When he sets one free from the lies and the bondage of Satan, they entered into the truth of a relationship with a holy God. And God can change hearts, and he can change direction of a county, of a city, of a state, or a nation. He can do it through his people, and he calls us to be involved. We must openly, without fear for ourselves or our family, Openly, willingly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I'm telling you, I've been there. I've become ashamed of what my ears have heard and what my eyes have seen, and I've not made a stand. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Sometimes you say, well, I'll just make a fool out of myself. Well, listen, we ought to be willing to be made a fool of for the cause of Jesus than anything else. Well, they'll just ridicule me and laugh at me as some old fuddy-dud. Well, just be called a fuddy-dud. I'd rather be a fuddy-dud for Jesus than to not make a stand. We need to be the kind of folks who are unashamed of the gospel in the workplace, in the shopping place, in the home, in our 
activities, we need to be a sounding board of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without reservation, without fear, without apology, because it is the greatest news that any sinner can ever hear, that God loves them. And Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for their sins. And if they simply trust in him, they can be saved, have life, have forgiveness, and have the joy unspeakable and full of glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Thirdly and lastly, we must pray for our country. We must pray for our political leaders. We must pray for our governor. As a woman governor, she already has her hands full trying to deal with all the men she has to deal with. I'm a man, I said that. I mean, you can just ask my wife. It's a full-time job to have to deal with one man. Don't you look smugly at me. You know it's the truth. But we have a governor who needs our prayers. I really think she tries to do the right thing. I don't say that she's always right. I would never say that about you or nor me. I wouldn't say that, but I think she tries to do the right thing. But we need to pray for her that she will do the right thing. We need to pray for her that God would give her wisdom, that he would give her direction, give her understanding, and to understand the error of some of her decisions and correct them. We need to pray for our mayor and our city councilman. I am sick over what we've been praying about on Wednesday night that the mayor has introduced and it was voted down. We need to pray for Mayor Reed, that God would arrest his attention, that he might understand the error of his thoughts. He might, it might be more, more important to him that our city be a city where God is feared and God can bless us than to worry about some political aspiration that he may personally have. We need to pray for him. And ask God to intervene, to give him wisdom, and to convict him and bring him to the place of giving good leadership. He's a likable person. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for our state and national legislators. They have a big bill to carry, they have a lot to do, they have a lot to consider. And let me tell you, if you think they're not bombarded by every special interest group in America, you just got your head on backwards. They are constantly being offered bribes. They're constantly being offered uh, other things and pressured and pressured and pressured because somebody wants to get ahead. Somebody wants things to be easy for them. And they hear that day in and day out. And the higher you go for the state to the houses of, House of Representatives, to the U.S. Senator position, to the presidency. The higher you go, the more the pressure, the more the influence, the more that is demanded of you, and the less personal input you have. 
We need to pray for our leaders. We need to ask God to speak to their hearts. We need to lift them up that God would change their minds and that they would stand on godly principles and the things that are right for us. If you have children here with you this morning, would you just turn and look at your child for a minute or your children? Just, just turn and look at them. Just, just notice that they're there. If they're not here with you this morning, would you just think about them just a minute? Think about them. They're your fruit. They're your posterity. They're all you have to look for for the future. God help some of you. I tell Melanie all the time, I'm so glad that we have loving children. I'm not so sure they want to take care of us when we're old, but we have loving children. I'm counting on my grandsons, loving Papa and Mimi enough to take care of us. I said all that with tongue in cheek, but to say to you, look at them. Look at them. What do you want them to live in in the days to follow? What kind of a nation do you want them to live in? What kind of a government do you want them to have? What kind of a school system do you want your grandchildren to have and their children? What kind of a culture do you want your children and grandchildren to live in? I'm reminded of what Vance Hadner said to his little wife. You better pray. You better pray. We need to get serious before a holy God. We need to take a stand, participate, we need to celebrate the truth, and we need to pray for our leadership. Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 1 says, I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He goes on for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godness, godliness and honesty. Pray for these folks in authority. We need to do that. Let me tell you a blessing I'm reminded of. And I... I start to say something about this over and over again. I never do because I never want to bring attention. But sometimes our parents that sit up in the balcony with the small children, they say to me, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so smart, sorry about my child making noise. Let me tell you what, that's the sweetest music in the world. I'd rather hear them young'uns than to hear you. And I would like an amen from you once in a while. I really love those children being here. 
And Paris, I want you to hear it from your pastor and your whole church. They ain't bothering us at all. Am I right? We're glad they're in here and glad that you're the parent that brings them here. And we're thankful for them. Sometimes they preach back to me. I'll ignore that. You didn't hear that. Somebody said, and better too. That's just like a worthless deacon to say something like that. <laughs> I tried to encourage you today that all's not law. All's not law. We have a rich We have a wonderful history as a people, as a nation. And as we remember things like 9-11, sometimes we can get a little down, get a little discouraged. And we hear the political climate in America today, and you can get discouraged. Let me remind you, God has not taken a vacation. He's still actively involved in the affairs of nations. He's actively involved in the United States of America. Have hope. No peace. Walk in liberty and joy in knowing our God is in control. Let's be what he calls us to be. Participants, sharers of the gospel, and prayers, prayers for our leadership. Father, thank you for this time of worship to get paid. Thank you for your truth. Thank you as we have gratefully remembered your blessings on this nation. And may you continue to meet our every need and to go even further than that to give us the bounty of your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray.